Welcome to the Data Points Podcast, focused on the importance of data in a 21st century world. We discuss data-centric topics such as fundamentals of data management and use, strategies for building buy-in within organizations, the critical role that communities play in this important work, and so much more. My name is Courtney Bettle at the Center for Government Excellence at Johns Hopkins University. In this role, I lead an initiative focused on providing technical assistance and coaching to city leaders and organizations to use data and evidence, develop skills, and deliver impact at scale that improves resident outcomes in the area of economic mobility. Today, we're gonna to take a look at collaboration. We know that most big, hairy public problems require individuals and organizations to move outside of their silos to make progress, but that doing so is incredibly challenging. We're here today to hear from two people that have prioritized collaboration in their work and are passionate about solving the big challenges facing our communities right now. We're joined today by Ryan Jackson, Special Assistant to Mayor Strickland in Memphis, Tennessee, and Sagar Desai, Managing Director of Innovation at Strive Together. Thank you both for being here today. Ryan, Sagar, could you just tell us a little bit about yourselves and what you do? Ryan, we'll start with you. Absolutely, thanks for having me, Courtney. My name is Ryan Jackson, a Special Assistant to Mayor Jim Strickland in the city of Memphis. And in this capacity, I advise the mayor on uh, several uh, topics, um, including policy, public-private partnerships, and collaboration. I think that is why Courtney has invited me to join you guys, since we are talking about the topic of collaboration. Thanks so much, Ryan. Sagar? Yeah, thanks for having me, Courtney. Really excited to be here today. So. Sagar Desai, I'm the Managing Director of Innovation at Strive Together. We're a national network that supports place-based partnerships across the country, which we define as networks of people and organizations in a same geographic area who work together to change systems, improve community outcomes, and achieve shared goals. And so within Strive Together, we support a network of around 70 place-based partnerships across the country. And I joined about a year ago to help build out a training hub for people that want to work within place-based partnerships. So how do we really do collaboration in a way that actually moves outcomes? Since oftentimes we hear the word collaboration thrown around, but we never really know how to do it successfully. Thanks for those introductions. Sagar, let's stick with you since you started talking a little bit about the work that Strive is doing in this space. Can you tell us about collaborative improvement and why Strive Together believes an investment in place-based organizations is so important right now? Absolutely. When we started this work in this training hub, we started to see a growing movement for place-based partnerships, organizations working together towards community outcomes and changing systems. But what we started to see was some gaps and competencies in the field. When we enter into this work, whether it be in a master's program or a fellowship program or a PhD program or superintendent program, so forth, you're not really taught how to work across sectors towards common outcomes and using the data using the value and the lived experience of the community to make better decisions that we believe are going to be the highest value. And so with that, over the last few years, Strive Together has developed its own training program called Collaborative Improvement to help ensure that leaders across the community from the front line to the top level are equipped with the critical knowledge and skills that center the work in racial and ethnic equity while supporting them to move from intention to action, learn from tests of change, and work with those impacted to develop solutions. 
Collaborative improvements really built off of a lot of leading work that we think is happening nationally. There's the work of results count that happens out of the NEKC Foundation. There's the work of continuous improvement that many, such as the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, have pioneered um, in Six Sigma. There's the work of human-centered design, so really centering the needs of the community up front. And then wrapping all that around racial and ethnic equity as a tool for actually making the systemic change that we need to. So right now, we've trained hundreds, if not thousands of people across the country in this work, and we're really trying to find a way to get more of these training programs into communities across the country. That sounds really exciting. Thanks so much, Sagar. Ryan, can you tell us about how collaboration is central to your role in the mayor's office, and if there's a program or project that is evidence of this? Absolutely. Collaboration is the lifeblood of the work that I do in the mayor's office. I'll say as soon as the mayor took office in 2016, over the span of about two years, uh, we worked on a project that was called Memphis 3.0. And essentially, this was the first comprehensive plan for the city since 1981. And so we worked with nearly 200 individuals. There were events and staff working on Memphis 3.0, heard from over a a total of 15,000 Memphians to come up with a new strategy for the city. And essentially that strategy was to build up and not out. The Memphis 3.0 comprehensive plan is essentially a roadmap to better transportation and transit, investment in the core in our neighborhoods, and then also investment in opportunities for Memphians. By essentially focusing on centers of activity identified as anchors, the city's future will essentially be built on the assets of downtown and neighborhoods across all of Memphis. So that is a very integral plan and project that we have been working on throughout the two terms of Mayor Strickland. Another one is a partnership with Zen City. Zen City is essentially a data-driven decision-making for local government. And it's a partnership that stands data from finance and budgeting, performance management, crisis management, and data-driven governance, and also building community trust. This is a new partnership that we are actually in the process of just launching. And we are excited about the results that are to come out of it. And then last but not least, pre-K. Back in 2019, I believe it was first eight in Memphis was named the fiscal agent of the city and also of the county. And so they would have the pre-K funds for about three years. The, The announcement followed both the Shelby County Commission and the Memphis City Council unanimously passing a joint ordinance to name a fiscal agent, which was first eight. This was a, a, an equitable strategy to scale up our pre-K efforts in Memphis and in Shelby County. And so essentially, First 8 Memphis manages the distribution of city and county funds for this new and existing pre-K initiative as a part of a larger strategy to secure about 8,500 seats toward full need-based pre-K by 2022, which is this year. And so we're extremely excited to see what the results of that has rendered from when we started that back in 2019. Thanks for sharing that, Ryan. I think one of the things that's going to be really interesting to the folks that are listening to this is to hear the way that collaboration is so central to the work that you all do or the way that you've elevated it in the work as someone coming from sitting within the seat of government and then someone who is working in partnerships in the nonprofit sector as well. And so I want to throw it back to both of you. If you could just tell me a little bit about what you think are keys to successful collaboration. What are some of the elements that make for a successful partnership and collaboration, particularly with entities that have very different agendas? And Sagar, we'll start with you. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with a shared goal. So what is the shared vision that we are trying to achieve, whether it be better outcomes in third grade literacy, reduced homelessness. But at the end of the day, if we can have a shared goal that we know what we're collaborating towards, and it's not just a broad goal, it's really specific. What's the data point we want to get to? And that really brings the second part of having the right data so we can have an informed conversation. That's both quantitative data, so run charts facts and figures to really orient ourselves around the nature of the problem. But it's also qualitative data, the lived experience of the community, what's happening, what are we learning, what are we hearing that we need to be really addressing and designing solutions for. So those are the first two things that I think really become important for any successful collaboration. What I'd also add is that we often see collaborations fail because it often it becomes a place where partners come together and say, we're going to collaborate, we're going to collaborate, but it just becomes a list of what everyone's already doing. Instead of actually thinking about coming to the table and saying, I'm going to operate differently than I have been to come at this problem and to help solve it. One of the things that becomes really important in successful collaboration is the orientation of participants and organizations to really be different in how they approach the work. I love that, Sagar. It, it really is a give and take, requiring that folks decide that they're actually going to do differently, but also maybe be a little bit different than they've been in the past. So I think that's really important when we're thinking about bringing partnerships together is to first consider what adjustments we're willing to make. So I, I think that's a really important um, call out that we should all be thinking about. Ryan, could you expand on any of that? What are some of the things that are necessary for collaboration? And especially when we think about the role of politics and election cycles and how sticky those sorts of things can be, what are some of the foundations that are required for successful collaboration, particularly with government partners? For me, as it relates to collaboration and what's essential in the government space, I think it's effective communication. Often in government, we work in silos. <laughs> and I think effective communication helps to break those silos. It's finding what is the common theme or challenge or issue that both entities or organizations are facing. And once you find that common theme, build upon that common theme by using data. And so the effective communication comes in through the storytelling. You know, I often say storytelling brings data to life and allows collaboration and synergy to meet at the center. And from there, that's where each entity or individual organization can create their own goals. Not everyone's goals are the same, but the two connecting things that ties the fabric together is effective communication. That's, I think, really helpful is finding commonalities, making sure that we're all speaking the same language and that data can help us sometimes create that shared language and shared understanding. Sagar? Yeah, I just add one more thing to that. I think Ryan captured a lot of that perfectly. What I started to think about was the importance of understanding that as individuals and as organizations, we have a role to play in the system and why the outcomes are the way they are. And traditionally, what we've seen in a lot of partnerships before they get started is different organizations saying, well, it's you know, the nonprofit's fault that this isn't happening or the funder's fault because they're not funding X, Y, and Z, or it's policymakers, or it's the educators, or it's this other service providers. There's a change in philosophy that has to be there at the base level, which is we each have a contribution to why these outcomes exist, and we have a contribution for how we can change these outcomes in a pretty meaningful way. And it's that moment that there becomes a real shift 
when they're guided by data and they can have the right communication that you start to see outcomes and systems improve? Yeah, maybe there is a chronic lack of introspection maybe that happens for all organizations, regardless of whether or not they're public or private, local or federal, that prevents us from taking an honest look at the ways that we can do and be different. And I think data can help us sort of uncover those gaps. So thanks so much for highlighting that. What are some pitfalls that you try to avoid when you are entering a space of collaboration? What are some things that you do to sort of position yourself so that you can be a successful collaborator or set up your organizations or departments to be successful collaborators? And Ryan, we'll start with you. Yeah, this is an interesting question, actually. I think one should avoid biting off more than they can chew in cross-collaboration efforts. I would caution to be hesitant of over-promising and under-delivering and also making your goals someone else's goals. You know, to go back on what we spoke to earlier, that's why I think it's so essential to find what is the common thing and be hesitant not to make your goals someone else's goals. And once you find out what that common thing is, build upon that and use that synergy to solve the problems. Ryan, would you be willing to share or does an example come to mind of when you felt like you did a really good job of keeping your scope narrow, not over committing, and it paid off? Yeah, absolutely. So I would think that around the work that we do with Opportunity Youth, there's so much that involves that space. It's very important and vital to have a focused agenda and set some short-term goals. Long-term goals are good as well, but certainly set some short-term goals that can be managed and achieved because that allows the motivation factor to increase. And like I said, one of those examples can be just our local partnerships uh, bringing us to the table with Shelby County government. And that can be just with our juvenile court system and how young individuals are exiting the juvenile court system. And we're trying to, in the process right now, set up some policies and programs to onboard them to opportunity that the city does have. So I, you know, I'd say make goals uh, that are attainable and measurable, that are short term. And as you achieve those goals with obviously your longer term goal in sight, you have some type of momentum that is being gained along the way. I think that's really wise. And I think one of the things that it can also do is short wins help build trust, which I think set the playing field for longer, deeper, bigger goals to be set that address the long-term problems that we all want to see eradicated in our communities. Sagar, how about you? What would you add? What are some of the things that you want to see or do to prepare for collaboration? Yeah, Ryan's answer was so great. And what I'm adding there is I think that there needs to be dedicated staff capacity. So oftentimes people see this as 5% of that role, 6% of that role coming together every week, oh, and let's collaborate. But if we're not making dedicated capacity to really think about this and having a group of people that wake up every single day to think about the different types of work that needs to happen within a place-based partnership and for that collaboration to happen. So for example, we think about this in terms of about seven functions. One, that you have community engagement, network building, two, visioning and goal setting, three, partnership coordination, communications, four, fund development, resource alignment, five, measuring community level impact, six, building partner capacity, and seven, organizing and advocating for systems change. There's a lot that you need to see to happen within a place-based partnership, and it can't sit within any one organization. 
But having a organization, what we've called in Stripe Together, a backbone that really focuses on securing the resources required to build and sustain these functions is really critical. And we've seen that as to be an important model of success. There's an organization in Memphis, Tennessee, Seeding Success, which has been really critical for a lot of the systems change work that's happened there. Similarly, where I came from before my time at Stripe Together and the Bomber Group, the Commit Partnership in Dallas, which had a dedicated backbone of staff that was focused on changing outcomes for 750,000 students in Dallas County across a number of different areas. And you know, we have parallel organizations like Stripe Together, another one called Community Solutions, which is focused on housing and homelessness, that started to make the decision to invest best and dedicated leadership to oversee these place-based partnerships. And that investment, by their account, was a turning point in moving the work from crisis response to reaching functional zero for chronic homelessness. So the thing that I would really advocate and push for is this investment in a dedicated backbone, dedicated staff that really is focused on navigating the work of the partnership. Those are some really powerful examples. The time and capacity that it takes to work out across silos is often underestimated. And so, yeah, if it's something that we value, if it's something that we know is critical to accomplishing the goal, then it is really important to create the space for it, to bring the resources to bear so that we can do these big lofty projects. So I'll round out with one last question for you all today. Is just if our listeners would like to read up on something, if there's a book or a podcast that's been really informative for the way that you think about collaboration, for using data to support collaboration, any of the things that we've talked about today, what would you recommend? Sagar, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be a little bit biased. I think that the Strive Together website, strivetogether.org, has an example of a number of different partnerships across the country that have successfully been able to move outcomes and transform systems by working as a collective unit. We take a lot of our lessons from organizations like the Annie E. Casey Foundation, which have been thinking about this for decades. And they have a lot of good resources through their Results Counts training program, which is a big part of the training effort that we're launching as well. So I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention and give a head head nod to that. But at some point, we're going to be trying to launch this training hub to support a lot of uh, collaboration and the partnership efforts across the country in a way that's accessible and really impactful in communities. Thanks for that. Ryan, what would you share? So there's a book called Smart Cities, Big Data, Civic Hackers, and the Quest for a New Utopia. I believe that uh, Anthony Townsend is the author. So I would advise everyone to read that book. And then also, as I alluded to earlier about Memphis, the city I was born and raised in and have the unique opportunity to work for the mayor, I spoke about Memphis 3.0. The city of Memphis hadn't had a comprehensive plan since 1981, but that was a long time ago. And so this administration actually delved deep and went from neighborhood to neighborhood and spoke with Memphians all throughout the city and asked them the critical question, what do they want their cities to look like? And in this report, you know, you can see what those Memphians talked about from neighborhood to neighborhood, whether it was East Memphis, North Memphis or South Memphis. We're talking about collaboration. This is probably by far one of our biggest collaborative efforts. It was an effort that took the city council and county commission, the mayor and the county mayor, and all Memphians to get on board with and share their ideas and insights of how they want the future of their city to look. Uh, Because as you know, the future of all cities are smart cities. 
Well, thank you so much, both of you, for joining me today. So grateful for the time that you took to spend with us today. I want to thank those who have listened to today's podcast. And if you'd like to learn more, you can find us online at govx.jhu.edu. Make sure you subscribe to your future Data Points podcast episodes. Thank you again to both my guests for being here with me today.